Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is episode 137, 137. And uh, doing this one a little bit early compared to the last ones. And the big reason for that is um, I was asked to do an analysis of the new 6.8 by 51 cartridge. Now, I don't have one. Make, make no mistake. I don't have the gun. I don't have the cartridge. I just have the printed material that everybody else does. But I was asked to take a look at it and give my opinions and, and what I think is going on with this and, and what are my questions, what are my concerns. So kind of give a, a bit of an assessment. So uh, this may take a, a little bit of time, so we'll, we'll get to that. It, it normally uh, would be something we'd answer in the questions and answers, but I think it would take up the whole, the whole segment. So uh, the first thing I was asked was, what do you think about the war in Ukraine overall what what is it you know what how is this going to affect us in the future and I think uh, just a couple of random thoughts that came into my mind is there's now a new doctrine the Putin doctrine if you want to call it that which means if I have enough nuclear weapons I can kind of do what I want to my neighbors as long as they're not part of NATO you know I, I can go in there and I can trash somebody because you know what, if they don't have nuclear weapons and I do, no one's going to go to World War III over Ukraine or more Moldova or, you know, any other countries. You know, they're just not going to do it. The only countries that are really hands-off at this point are ones that have either a direct tr security treaty with the United States, which would be like Japan would be one, um, or members of an overarching NATO-type organization security organization so uh, that's why you see Sweden and Finland are going to apply for NATO membership they see the handwriting on the wall now I don't know that they really need to do that to be very blunt the other aspect you're seeing besides the Putin doctrine of I can beat up on my neighbors because I have nukes and nobody wants World War three the other thing you're seeing is the post-Soviet Russian army is a decrepit, hollow, and highly overrated organization. And the weapons are overrated. I think the troops are overrated. And the equipment is certainly um, very much overrated. Their tactics and generals and leadership is overrated. They are a paper tiger with nuclear weapons. And that's just the nicest way to say it. Now, does that mean that they are ineffective? No. They're still gaining ground. It's slow, and it's costing them a lot more than they would like. But they're still somewhat effective. But, uh, you know, to, to think that they are a, a ground force conventional threat to NATO is, is just a joke. Even in the current state of NATO, which is far from what it was during the Cold War, but it's essentially modernized. It still has its command structure. Uh, the numbers are a lot less, but the w weapons are very, very good. And, you know, there's, there's a lot better training and a lot better um, of everything. So there, there is no conventional force threat to NATO. And that's probably why Finland and Sweden will join, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we see that these kind of warmed over Cold War weapons like the T-90 tank 
just aren't cutting it. They're just not cutting it. And we've kind of reached this point in armored warfare where anti-tank weapons now have the upper hand. So we probably need a leapfrog in technology development to hand the advantage back to the tank. And uh, one of the ways you do that is operate in a combined arms um, manner, which is your infantry, your armor, your artillery, your air force, you know, your maneuver and your fires are synchronized to bring maximum effect onto the enemy. So, um, and the Russians simply aren't doing that. They're just simply not. And the, the Russian Air Force is, is essentially absent because um, outside of missiles, they don't seem to be flying much because of the risk. It's on and on and on. So that's, that's where I think it is. Um, it's going to be very interesting how everything from small arms to, to um, organization and other things are affected by all the, this. Will the right lessons be learned or the wrong lessons? Well, who knows? Who knows? I would, uh, I'd be willing to wager it'll be a mixed bag of both. And the, uh, the sad part is, the world's not coming back from this quickly. This is not Desert Storm, uh, where, hey, it happens, it's over, and the world kind of goes back to normal with a few things in place. Uh, this is going to affect us for decades and decades, possibly. Maybe even, maybe even like the next 50 years or longer. This is this is a very bad deal. This is this just reeks of wars of conquest that kind of we as the human race had thought we had sworn off. But anyway, that's that's the political part, um, you know. And, and unfortunately, our leadership is like the Russian army. We have the Russian army of leadership. We have this decrepit, antiquated, weak unsynchronized leadership of Biden and Harris, who are both jokes. Uh, Biden's a crazy old man and Harris is a fool. So there we go. Nancy Pelosi's like 900 years old. In the Senate, you know, who's heard of Schumer lately? He hasn't said anything. Everybody's talking about how Feinstein's basically lost her marbles. So there we go. That's our leadership. And we're stuck with that until November. In November, maybe we can elect some people and get some stuff done. But you know what? The idiots will still hold the White House. So, you know, things may things may change, but it's not like it's going to be 100% sweet. Okay, let's talk about the 6.8 by 51, commercially known as the 277 Fury. And from what I could tell, I kind of looked at some of the schematics. Um... There's going to be some differences between the 277 Fury and the military round. Most most notably, I'm not sure that the, uh, at least some of the commercial rounds that are allegedly available. I've never actually seen one, but I don't think that they're this bimetal um, construction. And by bimetal, bimetal means a couple different things. We're used to it meaning kind of a, you know, the full metal jacket coating on a bullet that's kind of what we're used to bimetal a lot of that came out of eastern europe this is bimetal it's a stainless steel base that has got some kind of lock washer arrangement and then there's a brass case that fits on it so you got a stainless steel head and a brass case and allegedly this is going to take eighty 
thousand psi. Uh, most rifle rounds are sixty thousand psi or under, so this is significantly higher. Uh, it's going to drive, you know, 130, 140 grain bullets, supposedly like 2,900 to 3,000 feet per second. Out of the bar what barrel length, I don't know. I'm assuming that's an 18, maybe 20 inch barrel. I'm just assuming that. Um, so that's effectively what the cartridge is going to look like. It's based on the 7.62 NATO. So really, it's a battle rifle cartridge. Um, it's a battle rifle cartridge. 7.62 NATO is the greatest battle rifle cartridge. And um, this is coming out and it's based on it. So we're taking a step backwards and we'll talk about that a little bit later but that's a that seems to be a huge shift um, going back and and you got to wonder what the what is the purpose of this cartridge um, you know what is really the purpose of it um, all I keep seeing is and the stuff I'm reading is it will defeat all known body armor or any body armor that's currently known to be under development so if that's the most important thing, if that's what drives all this, like it has to be able to puncture all body armor, then I would say, and you have no choice. You have no choice but to use it. I mean, if that's your goal is to puncture all body armor, that looks like the tool to use. What the bullets actually, the construction of the bullets, I'm sure it's more than just a lead core and a gilding metal jacket. I'm sure there's some sort of penetrator in there. What it's made out of and how it operates, I don't know. I do know that I would be willing to wager that the military round, which is capable of defeating all known body armor, probably will never be available to civilians. And we don't even know if the 80,000 PSI loading will be available to civilians. Who, who knows? Um, it looks like the stuff I've seen, the, the schematics and everything, just are a, a straight brass case. So if it's brass cased ammunition, um, it's going to be loaded down, I would assume, at 7.62 NATO levels. And, you know, that's just the way that is. Uh, 130, 140 grain bullets, that's not too far off of um, what 7.62 NATO ball M80 is. Um you know, that's 147. You know, I've seen them as light as 143 up to like 147. So, you know, and, and a lot of them were 145. So it's it's close. Um, now, granted, the, cal the, the bore diameter is different, and it's going to be, a, am sure, a longer bullet. And we'll get to that a little bit. But it's, it's going to be about the same, the same weight. So kinetic energy-wise, you're going to have the same weight moving at a very very high rate of speed considering you know that's 2950 to 3000 feet per second is pretty pretty darn high so i think that's uh that's going to be it's certainly 762 nato type performance um at close range you know and it really is going to be okay what do i see as some of the problems now that we've described it um the, the first and most obvious to me is barrel life um when you're talking 80,000 psi what does that mean well that means heat that pressure is directly related to heat okay so you're going to have an 
levels of heat that are hitherto unknown to us as riflemen in this in this weapon and if you're firing this weapon there's a squad automatic version of it and there's a rifle version that's going to that weapon's going to get very hot very quickly and anybody who knows 762 nato machine guns either the m60 or the m240 knows that they issue a spare barrel with those for a reason and they with the m60 anyway they issued a big asbestos barrel mitt you know big mitten so you wouldn't burn yourself a lot of times you wound up burning yourself anyway but um you know to change that barrel when those things got very very hot um i have never seen it but i understand some people have actually shot those things so they get red hot um i will say that your ability to do that with this new cartridge will be it'll be a lot easier to get that thing red hot unless there's some temperature mitigation thing in there that we don't know about in both the rifle and the the light machine gun this is a weapon that is going to heat up very very quickly very very quickly uh, the rifle is going to be an eight more of an AR 10 sized rifle obviously not an AR 15 sized rifle so it's going to be bigger and so far I have only seen 20 shot magazines so I as a former infantryman uh, I will tell you that that's not a good thing uh, that there are times when you need fire superiority and you know they used to call it spray and pray and all kinds of derisive things but there is such a thing as having fire superiority in which case light recoil uh, high magazine capacity is, is very very handy to have both in semi-automatic and automatic fire so uh, that's what that's what those that's a concern if, if I only if I'm only seeing 20 shot magazines now I, I guarantee that's probably what it's going to be because have you ever tried to use a 30 shot 7.62 NATO magazine first of all there's not very many of them and in fact friend of the podcast we did some gun trading a few years ago and uh, he gave me a magazine with the FAL rifle that was a uh, modified Bren gun magazine in 7.62 NATO and you know it's you load that up and and you got quite a bit of weight there you got quite a bit of weight and it sticks down quite a bit and you know it's not as handy as a 556 30 round magazine that's for that's for sure so the 20 shot magazine seemed to be a move backwards to me i'm not really sure that uh, that that's really the way to go another thing is if that's the case um soldier's basic load is going to be smaller right now the kind of the the blueprint basic load is you have three magazines in each pouch or you, you basically have six magazines on your body the old um web gear we had had two magazine pouches each with three magazines and then you had one in the rifle for a total of seven seven times three is 270 or yeah seven times 30 is 210 with this unless you're willing to carry a lot more weight the soldier is just going to have to carry fewer rounds so you either carry more weight or fewer rounds you know take your pick um, I will tell you that in the in some of the experiences that have been you know told about Afghanistan you know when they had those seven and eight hour battles at those uh, isolated 
combat outposts, carrying less ammo is a bad thing, a very, very bad thing. So I'm not really sure that carrying less ammo is going to be a really good option, which means they're just going to have to carry more weight. Now, the rifle is already two pounds heavier than an unloaded M4. Whether they have manipulated that figure because it's not including optical sights or whatever else, I'm, I'm not sure. But I, it seems like two pounds is probably a little light. I would say it's probably just looking at the rifle, knowing an AR-10 versus an AR-15. Uh, you know, two pounds is, is not out of the realm. But when you start adding things like lasers and, and uh, um, you know, accessorizing it, all of a sudden your your rifle is a lot heavier than what you would like. So, and that's a problem with the M4 a little bit. It's going to be a much bigger problem with this. So the 20 shot magazines, the the heavier rifle and all that, it's already going to give our overburdened infantrymen more weight to carry. And um, you know, we used to joke when I was in the infantry. We the joke was hey, here's another 20 pounds of lightweight equipment to carry. You know, that's the that's the thing. It's, there's no such thing as lightweight. Um, and in fact, anything you can do to reduce weight, because you're also carrying, you know, you're carrying water, you're carrying food, you're carrying extra equipment, you're carrying extra ammunition. You probably have to carry some ammunition for either uh, some mortars, you know, the 60 millimeter mortars, or you're carrying a, more ammunition for the squad automatic weapon, which is the same caliber version of this of this uh, uh, weapon so um, it's you know not everything you carry is just yours sometimes you have to carry something and pass around something nice like a javelin missile or you know additional machine gun ammo whatever it whatever it all is so the extra size of the rifle and the extra 20 shot magazines you know 20 shots in a magazine smaller basic load that could be a real problem. So we have that. So, you know, other things are cleaning equipment. I hope we don't make the same mistake with this rifle that we made with M16, which was we don't have the appropriate cleaning equipment fielded with the uh, with the weapons. You think you wouldn't have to mention that, but obviously you do. Is Is the M16 cleaning rod going to be okay? Does it is there a brush that's going to fit onto that cleaning rod? Is there going to be a whole new kit? Is there going to be like an Otis kit that's got a flexible rod? You know, who knows? Because they've shown us this, but they haven't shown us anything else. Uh, lubrication. With this kind of heat that this that this rifle generates, and we don't know how clean burning that new ammo is to get up to that heat. I'm to get up to 80,000 PSI, I'm assuming it's going to be pretty pretty clean burning because it's using every ounce of energy to achieve that but we don't know and so are we going to be you know are we going to have yet another weapon that has soot or carbon all over it because you know the ammunition the powder in the ammunition is not burning the way we want it doesn't burn completely up it leaves a residue so we don't know about that you know there's a lot of things we just don't know uh, our ranges for 65, 70 years, we've been building 5.56 capable ranges. Are our range fans and range berms and range equipment going to have to be upgraded to accommodate this? I would say that that's a pretty good bet. I would say that that's a pretty good bet that there's going to be a whole bunch of infrastructure that has to take place 
so that we can actually use these weapons um, in qualification and training. Uh, another thing is ammo durability. I, I'm just a one-piece cartridge case that's sealed around the bullet and sealed around the primer. It has always been a very desirable thing. Um, a two-piece cartridge case that mates steel and brass seems to me to be a less desirable that there's a way and nothing is ever perfectly sealed and we're talking about millions maybe even billions of rounds of ammunition um, my worry is is the um, durability and stability of the ammunition you know if it gets wet is there a chance that something could seep in there? Who, who knows? Or and, and it doesn't have to be wet from water. It could be some oil or some kind of penetrating solvent spills on it. How how stable is that ammunition? How sealed is it? That's going to be another really big issue. Performance. Um, they they they're touting that it's hey it's great it's a six point eight. It's got less drop at a thousand yards then does the 6.5 Creedmoor so which is which is you know really fantastic actually but I'm sitting there going if we're talking about an infantry rifle why are we worried about thousand yards now if it's a DMR maybe designated marksman rifle and so far I haven't seen anything on one of those yet this seems like it would be a natural that the um, the rifle could be, you know, with the correct optic, could also serve as a DMR. Don't know, but it seems like that would be the case. But my whole deal is the infantryman's problem is not at a thousand yards away with a rifle. The infantryman's problem, as we've proved since World War One, effectively, and maybe even before that, the infantryman's problem is zero to three hundred meters, and that's thus why we have internet. Uh, intermediate cartridge not international cartridges but intermediate cartridges that's why eight millimeter Kurtz 7.62 by 39 5.45 by 39 5.56 NATO that's why all of these cartridges have have come about was they were specifically designed for that envelope you know beyond 300 yards you're going to engage with something else so um, if you can even see your target. A lot of times in the infantry, you don't see your target beyond that. I realize the Middle East had some situations where that was indeed um, the case where they could see beyond that, but they did have weapons that could reach out and touch. I mean, um, the Mark 19 grenade launcher is an excellent, excellent weapon for something beyond 300 yards. So anyway, um, you know, the performance, what are they really looking for? Is it body armor? Is it the drop at a thousand yards? Is it, you know, something else? What what is it? Is it is it barrier penetration? I mean, I don't really know what problem they're intending to solve. You, you get these phrases like, "Well, it's going to be more lethal." Oh, okay. Is it more lethal because of why? And if it's because it can penetrate all known body armor, okay, then that's the that's the reason as we were talking about before then it's thousand yard accuracy probably isn't isn't much of an issue so I don't really know what the performance metrics are that they're looking at 
just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, and another thing that nobody will talk about. Nobody will talk about this. Soldier diversity. Okay. Soldier diversity and marksmanship has always been a problem. One of the problems is that you have people who grow up in inner cities with no experience with firearms. I will tell you that that is a significant issue and I don't really think our military has cracked the code on that as well as they should. And that's with the easier to use lower recoil 5.56 weapons. This weapon is going to be a lot more challenging for people who've never shot one. If you've never shot a rifle, and this is the first rifle you ever shoot, that's going to be a challenge. That's, you know, would you hand a new shooter a 7.62 by 51 NATO rifle? I don't think so. Would you hand them, you know, a, something that would be similar, maybe a 6.5 Grendel AR? I don't know, you know. Um, you can, but you know, it's going to be a lot harder to train them and it's going to be a lot easier for them to develop bad habits. So soldier diversity, as far as fire, previous firearms experience, is going to be a problem. Another one is there's, you know, we have a diverse military, so we have some small people in it. Some of them are females. Not all, but some of them are females. So a female who's small and has never fired a shoulder weapon before, is this a good choice? Is, is this a universal type rifle that you can issue to everybody? And I would, I would say that unless they're willing to put a lot more a lot more training into it, I don't think that's going to be a winner. Now going back to kind of you know the barrel life issue, this thing generates big heat. And if you've ever fired even even things like ARs or 762 weapons that generate heat, you know, I'm talking about rifles, FNs, G3s. Um, they can get hot, and if you touch them anywhere except on the handguard, you you'll know it. Um, so you have this tremendous heat. It's going to be a lot hotter. What's that really doing to barrel life? Um, I saw one calculation, and this again is based on 277 Fury, and not you know because we don't have a bunch of the military information. But the estimate was, based on some calculations, that these barrels would last 1,400 rounds. Um, that is a complete no-go in a military weapon. I'm just telling you, that is a complete no-go. When I shot high power, um, basically, you know, match-grade 7.62 M14 style rifles were good for at least 5,000 rounds, at least many cases a lot more now i realize that these barrels are probably going to be chrome lined and maybe there's some other magic they can apply there but you know you can't change the laws of physics heat erodes steel it just does and it's going to eat these barrels it's going to eat them there's a, i don't know how they're gonna i don't know how to to change that i don't know you can you can make the steel thicker but then it just heats it takes it longer to heat up and then longer to cool you know so i don't know i i don't know how they're going to to uh beat that particular challenge but that's going to be a huge a huge deal 
so what is my what, what do I think well I, I've also seen where they're not going to really get these things in anybody's hands at least until the beginning of 2024 and so they're going to make some ammunition they're going to buy some of these things and then they're going to put them in soldiers hands not the entire army at once it'll be just like the m17 um, deal m17 m18 pistols you know they'll give it to one unit and let them let them you know use it under field riggers and see see how they do and my guess will be that they will find some things that have to be corrected and some of those things that have to be corrected uh, will then have to go back to the factory so we're probably talking about 2025 by then they go back so it's maybe 2026 before the next batch goes out and and we've done this iterative process before m16 m16a1 m16a2 you know there was an a3 an a4 m4 m4a1 you know we've done this before we found that you know may need a heavier barrel may need this may need that um, this little piece may break too easily so it's got to be redesigned and into something more robust all kinds of things who, who knows what that'll be so you're really looking before they're going to get these into the field in appreciable numbers you could be looking easily 2027 2020 you could be easily looking five or six years from now if everything goes to plan and if they actually decide to adopt it service-wide if there's money to do it if there's a whole lot of things that fall into place my my gut instinct is that they will buy these the first iteration they'll send them get them figure out what's wrong with them they'll buy another batch and that'll be the end of it because i think they will use these for some tier one units some special operations or special mission units we'll get these but I don't see, you know, truck drivers getting these. I don't see fuel handlers getting these. I don't see that. And I don't know that the Army is going to put up with two different rifle calibers unless it's in a special mission, special operations kind of context. So that's how I, I kind of see it. Um, you know, it just maybe it'll have some influence on improving the current service rifle and ammunition. You know, maybe some of the ammunition things that they learn uh, with this, maybe the penetrator can, maybe there's some sort of better penetrator they can use to um, increase the effectiveness of the 5.56 against body armor. Don't know. Don't know if that's going to come out. I, I just don't see this as being everybody. It's a step. I, 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 I hate to characterize it as a step backwards, but it really is. Um, we're not looking we went to intermediate cartridges to increase firepower. Now we're going back to a battle rifle cartridge to increase performance. And, you know, we kind of been there, done that, and found that it didn't. Even if you have great performance, it is counterbalanced heavily by high firepower. So I think that um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet that this is going to be the wave of the future. Um, this may be just a a a sidetrack, you know, kind of like the Scar Heavy. You know, U.S. military liked the Scar Heavy, but it was 7.62 NATO and it was big. And for all those reasons I've talked about, they 
they used it a little bit. They had some special mission units use it. They're probably still sitting, a bunch sitting in an inventory that could get used if the need arises, but it's not the everyday weapon. It's just not. Uh, lot. This is a big deal, and it's going to be an interesting deal to follow. Um, I don't know about what the civilian counterpart of these rifles will look like. My guess would be that we will get the kind of the dumbed down or toned down version. Um, this is going to be basically like a semi-automatic 260 Remington, which is very close to to this anyway. Uh, I don't know that we'll see the two-part cartridge. I don't know that we'll see anything with the uh, 80,000 PSI. I can't imagine hand loaders. I mean, if, imagine if you have a case failure at 80,000 PSI. That would seem to be very, very bad for me. <laughs> to me, um, that would be very, very bad. You would, you would have your chance of getting very seriously injured or worse. Seem, would seem to be a lot higher if you have a uh, um, a weapon with that kind of pressure. So we'll see. We'll see what actually comes out. I'm sure, though, and I, from what I understand, the the Sig rifles that are already out there that kind of are the civilian equivalent, the semi-automatic look-alikes of these, that the prices of them are just going crazy, you know, 5000 to $10,000, because everybody wants the newest and coolest, and the cool kids are going to have to have this. Um, I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon, but I really would... If I My best advice is step back, wait and see, uh, you don't want to buy a $5,000 rifle and the rounds for it are five bucks a piece. You know, you did, you really don't want to do that. Um, it, it's like everything else. Um, what is the civilian marketplace price? There are a lot of cool ARs that take a lot of very cool cartridges, but face it, you pay a lot of money. It's not like 5.56 where you go down and nowadays it's like 12 bucks for uh, 20 rounds, but it used to be seven, five, six, seven dollars for 20 rounds. Um, you're not going to find very, really high tech or some of these boutique or special use rounds that are in that price range. So you got to really think long and hard about what you're doing. You may be buying a rifle that you're not going to shoot very much simply because of ammo cost and availability. So that is my assessment. I'm a wait and see guy. I hope it works out. I'm not a curmudgeon. I hope it works out. And, uh, you know, this all those problems that I've listed are are solved, but I have a funny feeling that you know science doesn't change and and heat is heat and I don't really see how that is all going to to work. And I also again ammo. You know the capacity of the rifle going back to a twenty rounder after we've had. 40 or 50 years of 30 rounders just that seems to be just the wrong direction and uh, look at look at some of the battles we fought where people were putting out a lot of rounds so having fewer more powerful rounds may not be the answer it may not be the answer at all so that's my assessment of the uh, the m5 and the new squad automatic weapon that's that's uh, coming in tandem with it and uh, we'll see how it goes Okay, let's talk about a little bit of other gun stuff here. Uh, one of the things that never fails to impress me is a retro AR-15 
that's got one of those cheap <laughs> three or four power scopes. What those scopes actually are, the power in them, I don't really know. I know that they say that there's some of them that are three power, some of them that are four power. Uh, they were all basically Chinese made. The originals, I think they made some in Japan, maybe some here in the States. But those are all getting those are all real collector's items now and they're and they're pretty long in the tooth those things are getting to be 55 60 years old which you know for scopes scopes age scopes age and uh that's just kind of the way that works so it's a very very um interesting concept to have that rifle with that little scope on it you know and how handy that really is now I, i've say, said it on an earlier podcast maybe even a couple years ago the they were never really used by the u.s military these those scopes some people will swear they were but you know i never saw them never saw anything like them never saw them never even heard of them nobody because i'd actually asked hey do we ever use these things and nobody knew anything about them guys who were going back long way so nobody knew anything about them so they were never used so if some gun content creators try to tell you that these were U.S. military issue, they weren't. It's just that simple. Sure, they might have bought some and tried them out or played around with them, or people might have bought them on their own and put them on their, their M16A1s, but it was never, uh, never really a general or wide issue item, that's for sure. But um, I've, I've always impressed. I've, I've got one that was made by, I believe, Norinco back in the 90s. That I think I paid less than $30 for and I've had it on retro AR and that thing keeps it zero I have it on a retro AR that I carry back and forth to our, our little bit of uh, country property and sometimes I don't even take this thing out of the case I mean before I shoot it I make sure it's lubed and everything but it goes in the case it goes into the car it comes out it gets placed in the house, kind of gets moved around. I mean, it's not abused. It's not un jostled in any kind of a abusive way, but it does get moved around, and unlike everything else, you know, it's just moving around. You would expect a cheap scope like that to not hold its zero, but this one holds its zero excellently. Uh, I went out and confirmed the zero. I hadn't fired this in months. Hadn't fired it over the winter, really. Um, so I said, man, this thing's probably made 20 trips up and back. Um, I'll just go ahead and see, see where it's shooting. And I'll be darned if it wasn't right on. Um, I was very impressed. I was very impressed. Now, what does not work well, which does not work on any of these scopes, and I think H.R. Funk, the guy on the Internet, he, he recently did one. Um, the, the, the bullet drop compensating feature on these where they have... I sighted mine in at the 100 yard. It's kind of 100 and 200 yard together. Then it goes to 300, 400, and I think 500. May even go to 600. I don't know. None of those are worth anything. Um, you know, it's it's just like anything else. They're not. These are not precision made optics. What what internal parts are plastic and what aren't? I don't know. I don't even think the originals worked that well. It was based on the old kind of theory that you would see a target let's just say you you've sighted your your scope in at 100 yard 100 yards you've 
And I don't even know if these things are yards or meters. I can't even tell you that. <laughs> I assume uh, it doesn't matter because they're not that precise. So it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, you know, you would see something, let's just say it's 400 yards away, and you would just dial the, your rifle sighted in at 100, and you just dial up the four, and hey, you're right on. You're there. It, they never work that way. Um, and they don't have, they have very simple reticles. So, you know, the you just have to do kind of Kentucky windage uh, holdover. But really, when you're talking about a reasonable sized target, if you're, if you're, um, and especially at, you know, 250 yards, you're going to be, you know, a little high here, a little low there, but out to 300 yards, you're going to be totally good to keep it on a, uh, uh, a reasonable sized target. Again, it's not going to be, you know, Camp Perry blowing out the X-ring, but you're going to be right, right there. So I would just sight it in for what you need and realize that you're probably good out to 300 yards. But, uh, you know, I did buy another one of these scopes, and I haven't actually tested it out yet. It's one of my to-do things. Um, I want to see if it's as good as this one that I've had for for ages. I'm just going to slap this on top of another AR-15 and and go ahead and uh, go with it and see uh, see how it does. See how it does. So, again, you know, there are some there is some value. I'm a value shopper. I explained that last time. You know, if you get these things and they work. Who's to say they're good or bad? I mean, one from Brownells might be might be better, but I really don't want to spend three hundred dollars to find out that it's only as functionally as good as the one I spend seventy dollars for. This one I just bought recently, or the one I bought back way back in the day for like thirty bucks. You know, um, you know, this is stuff that there there is some good low price equipment out there that um, that, that is usable. Now, hey, is it the stuff you're going to parachute into the Ukraine with and, and fight the hordes? No. Is it stuff that uh, is going to withstand the heat of uh, the desert while you're fighting ISIS? Well, probably not. But for most of us casual shooters and people who, you know, you could even use it for serious purpose. I mean, if you had to, had to hit something at 300 yards, um, these little scopes can, can do it. They can do it. So I would say that the... Uh, um, the best thing to do is, you know, kind of get one of these, decide if you like it, and then, you know, maybe maybe if you want to uh, upgrade to the Brownells one, if, you know, I've never actually seen the Brownells one in the flesh, so I would, I would really like it, and I notice that uh, no one has ever done a side-by-side, -side because I have a very funny feeling that the Brownells may not outperform it like they, everyone would like it to, so... It, it may be that the extra money you spend is not uh, not so well, um, doesn't show up in the performance. I'll leave it that way. Uh, I also have another AR I took up there. I take up there routinely. Sometimes I take both of them. As a matter of fact, most of the time I take both of them. And it has my EOTech on top of an M4 Dree. And uh, I sighted that in, and it was slightly off. Um, you know, I don't know what caused that. Um, it may have been lighting. But, uh, you know, it was easily corrected. And it was so close. It was like one click, you know. So no big deal. Uh, but that holds its zero very, very well also. And it's just an outstanding uh, rifle to use. That's an outstanding sight. 
Um, my only, the only problem I have with aim points and EOTechs are that if you go from a cold, what I call a cold start, which none of these guys, none of these trainers ever talk about, cold start is my rifle is five feet away. I haven't touched it in two days. I pick it up and I have to engage with it immediately. Uh, you may not have time to turn these optics on because most of us aren't going to leave the optic on. I know that the aim point has got thousands of hours, but um, a lot of times those get turned off or they're at the incorrect um, setting where, you know, maybe it's all of a sudden you had it set for night and it's down real low. And then when you look through it, at the bright daylight, you can't see anything. So uh, because if you turn the reticle all the way up at night, it's too bright. And in the, you know, that's why they have the different, the different settings on that so if you pick it up and it's on the wrong setting and let's say it's too low you can't see anything that's when you have to have those pop-up auxiliary sights and the magpul ones I, i've man i've been using them for years and they're great um you just you just pop that thing and while you're bringing the the rifle up you can just pop that and have it there and uh you know hey is it is it a national match site no Will it get you a hit on target? Yes. <laughs> so it's it's gold right then and there. And I'm sure there are fancier ones. Um, you know, I, I just happen to like the design of these. And I have, I've used them a lot, so I have a lot of confidence in them. Um, but I definitely, you know, the, the nightmare scenario, which has happened to me only on the range, is hey I pull the gun out of the deal and I turn it on and hey the batteries are dead and I'm squirreling around I can't find the spare batteries for this thing you know you either have to you have a choice then you put the gun away and you just feel like a fool or you try to try to shoot it with you know just uh, just by pointing neither one of those is a good option but the pop-up rear sight is a great option and uh, you know I've, I've explained that a couple times that I've used that um, but another another time is hey I've got this on the wrong setting it's really bright now and I can't see I can't find the reticle for whatever reason you know I can't find it it's just too dim I don't see it against this light background and you know that could even happen that could even happen at night when you're uh, um, you know let's say somebody turns the headlights on all of a sudden you're in a kind of a dark situation but then a whole bunch of lights come on and then you're you're actually in you know a a fake daylight an artificial daylight situation um maybe you've lost the reticle because it was turned down for the uh the darkness so you you know you pop that you pop that sight and it's very easy to do and uh you know it's something you should practice but it's uh it's very easy to do and it pays off and it's nice having it nice nice having it um, a lot better than no rear sight. I've tried to shoot them with no rear sight and have not been very successful because you can still see the front sight post. Um, and so you kind of just center it in the, either the tube or the, you know, the, the uh, glass area of a, of a reflex sight and uh, holographic sight. And there you go. You know, you can shoot. And, you know, at very close range, it'll work. You know, certainly better than nothing. Certainly better than quitting. But uh, I like having that pop up rear sight. Those are those are good, and the uh, the aperture on at least the uh, the ones I use, the Magpul ones, um, they're generous enough 
they're not overly generous it's not a ghost ring but it's not a real precise tiny sight either so I, I like it quite a bit okay we do have some time for at least a brief edition of questions and answers and our first question is this do you use or do you recommend a 22 long rifle snub nose revolver and the answer I have that is no and no <laughs> no and no um, I have nothing against them as far as a trail gun or something a, a snub nose was designed for a very specific reason that was concealability and to give you enough power so that you could you could uh, neutralize an assailant at close range um, a 22 revolver the, the 22 round does not have that capability yes it's better than nothing um, but really you know ballistically even a high performance 22 coming out of a barrel that short is frighteningly weak the the next the next deal is is that uh, you know it's designed for concealability therefore it's not really they usually do not have adjustable sights or anything that would help with the longer range accuracy so you have a weak close range weapon you're much better off with something in 38 special or you know some other a center fire caliber um, just the way it goes now are they neat and cool little guns hey probably would it make a good little trail gun I don't really think so because uh, again um, how close do you want it to be you know so and and two they're they're not cheap they are not inexpensive if you really want an inexpensive trail gun I'd go with Ruger Wrangler go there um, you know 22 handguns are great but they they have their they kind of have their usage envelope and close range personal defense is not really their strong suit so I would say no I don't really recommend or use those but I do think that they're in many ways very cool and Smith and Wesson Ruger and a few other people make them okay here's another question what is your best advice for revolver speed loaders last podcast you said that most of them were junk except for full moon clips is there any other alternatives or anything that can be done to uh, improve the speed in reloading my revolver um, the answer to that is I don't know what revolver you have so I would say no <laughs> there's just no uh, practice well you know the, the more you practice the more you can do it hopefully you still are are nimble and uh, you've got the motor skills to do that under stress my best advice is this if you really want a combat revolver that you're gonna have to reload under stress the best thing to do is get and I can't remember the model number or anything but they had a Smith & Wesson end frame that was in 38 super that um, you know it held eight shots I think get one of those and get the moon clips for it and practice and you might get fast enough to at least be competitive with a single stack nine millimeter pistol you know that's just the best case you're gonna be uh, 38 super is a great round so you will have a shot per shot you'll probably have a bit more power and better choice in expanding bullets um, you have eight shots you know that's that's kind of government model right there in the government model realm so uh, 
you're not doing too bad that that would be the best the, my next best piece of advice is get an end frame Smith & Wesson in 45 ACP and use the full moon clips in that so there you go that was that's basically what I said last time but that reiterates it okay here's another question in your experience what is the best gun to hunt coyotes with um, I'm not a real big coyote hunter so um, I would say to my mind a 16 inch barrel flat top AR with a uh, a decent not totally expensive but this is a great use for the LPVO which I don't really have a whole lot of um, a whole lot of confidence in in the anti-personnel role but for something like this you know any good optic any good AR optic on top of an AR-15 and 5.56 would be a great coyote gun um, if you want to go more traditional I'd get any kind of a savage in um, 5.56223 you know you can certainly go more exotic there's all kinds of other things that will will do the job but I think those are just the good baseline no drama will get the job done and uh, serve you very well and ammunition is is uh, a lot easier to get so you know if you're looking for 6.5 Grendel I don't know you're gonna find that you know in, in any store when I was last in Cabela's they had you never know what they're gonna have but um, as far as anything other than 9 millimeter and 556 you don't really know it's just kind of a roll of the dice what uh, what that is so uh, those are the ones I would get certainly um, you know a good lever gun in in a myriad of calibers would be fine but you know can you find ammo for it you know and uh, I would say that you know just the no drama of it's so easy to mount a scope on a flat top AR the the magazines are easy the ammunition everything about it is easy so go with that I think that's the best solution okay here's another one besides weapons and ammunition what are a couple of other pieces of equipment that you would recommend in case of basically a large civil disturbance deadly riot or other situation where you know harm could come to you in a uh, in an urban riot environment I would, I would say that um, my my Ukraine advice is with you know have a have a good pair of boots good pair of broken in boots um, so if you move around and there's jagged stuff on the ground that it won't puncture your sneakers and, and put take you out because you've now just cut your foot open I would of course have some sort of gloves um, something ductile enough that you can uh, manipulate your weapon you know however you need to do that if you need to cut off the trigger finger or whatever you know whatever whatever you need to do to get get a set of gloves something to protect your hands from abrasions and punctures uh, I would have and this is where it gets dicey this is where it's you start to look like GI Joe but um, you could some sort of helmet and some sort of body armor uh, body armor is kind of controversial because you know what you just don't have body armor sitting in your closet for like three or four years and then the day comes when you need it you throw it on and you run all around you actually have to train in it and make sure your body is strong enough for it I'm getting to the point where 
with bad knees and bad back, body armor is not a very attractive thing to, to want to drape on myself. So uh, you have to make that choice. Uh, a good helmet is, is uh, a good thing, and you can go a couple different ways. And I think I've kind of talked this before, but they used to have a thing called a bump helmet in special operations, which was nothing more than a bicycle helmet. And as guys were going through a building looking for somebody, think about looking for bin Laden or looking for hostages or something else. Hey, a lot of times you're doing that in the dark and you may not see the low pipe. Uh, and so that you don't whack your head on it and knock yourself out, you'd wear a bike helmet and your bike helmet would bump into it and you just kind of bounce off and, and go your merry way. Or, you know, if some debris had was falling down because somebody had a, a grenade or something else, um, you know, your head wasn't just unprotected. It was a lot better than wearing just a soft cap, you know, even though the soft cap looks cool and they use it in the movies. Uh, you know, you had something like that. Uh, you can effectively do the same. They haven't used those for years and years. But um, because they've had those advanced combat helmets, which are, you know, about like a bike helmet in some ways, uh, but they're ballistically much better protection. So they've been using those. And you see those other movies all the time. Um, you can you can kind of cheap your way in and around those. There are some that they sell used for attractive prices. Um, you're going to pay anywhere from 50 to 150 bucks for one. You can buy some that are brand new that look state of the art. They're going to run four or 500 bucks, I think. Um, if you don't have anything else and you don't have any money, any real money, um, go on to some of the surplus websites and you can get, you know, European surplus steel helmets. Sometimes as cheap as 20 bucks. I mean, will they stop a bullet? No. Will they protect your noggin if wood or, or debris falls on it? Yes. If you're, you know, running through a house and there's a low pipe or a low beam that you don't see and you bump into it, will it protect your head? Yes. Um, so, you know, it's for 20 bucks and you can't afford the other stuff. It's it's fine. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to look practically, you're going to look really stupid, but it's okay. It's okay to look stupid as long as you're as long as you're okay at the other end it's great it's okay to look stupid so I would say that that's what uh, um, that's what I would do I would beware though do not buy reproduction helmets because they're not made out of the same kind of steel you know they're just meant to look like something they're not meant to perform like it so buy the actual stuff that's made out of real steel if you're going to use a steel helmet so I would say that, yeah, don't buy the, the, you know, the fake World War II German helmet because, you know, I've actually got a World War II German helmet and, and the thickness of that steel is amazing. It's really amazing. And um, there's actually a test. Um, it was an army test and they, they filmed it and turned it into a training film. Or I think it was, it was at 50 yards. Um, they shoot a German helmet with a 45 automatic and it, it puts a significant dent in there, but it doesn't penetrate. So if you were wearing that helmet, uh, you would survive. You know, you would definitely survive. You might not hear so good, but you'll survive. So um, buy the real stuff. The um, Soviet helmets and all that, I don't know. I assume that they're decent. So that's it. But the best thing you can buy is like a used uh, military or police Kevlar helmet. 
or one of the new advanced combat helmets and you know some of those have little bobs and whistles and other things on it so yeah you can you can get those that's what I would get um, <clears throat> as I said the body armor there's all kinds of different types and they they go from kind of expensive to outrageously expensive um, it, it depends it, uh, you can get some that have plates that, that kind of cover the whole torso or you can get just a front and back plate you can get just a plate carrier to carry them in or you can get the you know kind of the Kevlar uh, vest that they fit in you can get some of that you can get some of that surplus too I think I saw um, you know for for a couple of two three hundred dollars you can get the Kevlar vest it might be Czech or Polish or something else but you can get it and of course getting it in the right size is, is always going to be a, um, a challenge the old Korean War uh, flak vest with the tin plate, the metal plates in it, that, those really weren't very good. And the old uh, flak vests that were used up to about the year 2000, uh, those those aren't very good. They There's a lot of stories about those. Sometimes they'd stop a pistol bullet, but they're really not going to stop a rifle bullet. So uh, I knew in the early days of Iraq, some guys were wearing two of those. So if you were like a medium, you'd wear that and medium. And then you get a large and wear that over your medium. Uh, you know, uh, you can't have too much protection. So, you know, but again, you're talking about those vests were 17, 18 pounds. All of a sudden you're wearing now 40 pounds in your torso and that's going to slow you down. Going back to the beginning of the podcast, you know, talking about weight, soldier weight. But uh, some of the plates are made out of ceramic and are very light. Uh, some of the plates are made out of metal. They are very heavy. So it depends on your, uh, generally the heavy metal ones are the cheaper ones and the lighter ceramic ones. There's all kinds of certifications for these things. How how honest any of that is, I don't know. All I can say is, you know, if it looks too good to be true, it might be too good to be true. They might say it's rated for one thing and it may not be. And of course, how are you going to know? So unless you test it out and, and you don't really want to do that. So Anyway, that's it for this edition of Old School Guns, episode 137. If you have any questions or comments, you can always email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or leave them in the comments section on Podbean, and we'll be sure to get at them. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>